Welcome to the Penguin Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Tate. We have a great show for you this week. The main event is one of the most popular cruise ship performers aboard the Disney Cruise Lines and one of the most sought-after minds for show consultation, as well as just a wonderful human. John Armstrong is my guest. We discuss his shift from close-up magic to the stage, how to make your show better, and we discuss his new book, How to Win. Nick LaCapo joins me on the show to discuss the feature part of the week from Craig Petty. Before all of that, we kick things off with one of our quickfire segments where your favorite magicians tell us the literature they would love to be lost at sea with. This week, IBM close-up champ Farron joins me for the Desert Island Magic Books. Farron, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast for Desert Island Magic Books. Let's suppose you wash up on a desert island with one magic book, but it's made of Tyvek, so it's not going to fall apart in the wind and the rain and the sand. What is your Desert Island Magic Book? So I think since you're asking me right now, my answer right now would be Rune's World by Joshua J. And uh, it is the magic of Rune Clan. It is an interesting book because Rune himself is, is an interesting magician. He's, he's known across the world for his coin magic. But then in his native country of Denmark, he is known for this like outrageous comedy stage magic and so the book is split in half where you've got all this coin magic at the beginning and then all this uh uh like stage like comedy gags and ideas and in, in, in the second half so it, it's like a really interesting pairing to have in this book I love and, uh, I love Rune's World. I've read the book many times and I know that your uh first place IBM act is based on uh, at least, at least, loosely based on a uh, a piece from Rune's World, um, but I have done many, many pieces of Rune Clan's magic on stage. I uh, I do his sock prediction with the giant knife in there, uh, and my buddy Roddy <laughs> McGee actually does the thing where your face vanishes, um, or where you vanish the pizza. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> uh, he keeps that in the trunk of his car. Um, it's such a and. Also, you didn't list the best part of how it's split in half is all of the stand-up comedy piece magic stuff is drawn as a comic book, which uh-huh. is which is uh-huh. so good. Yeah, I know. When it, when was the last time you read a magic book that's also like a graphic novel? Yeah. I mean, ever? Is there another one? I, I don't, if there is, I don't know of one. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I, if we're talking about, you know, something to keep me busy on when I'm stranded on a desert island, I mean... You know, it's material that that's uh, tough, but is like really fun to work on. I feel like it'll it would keep me busy for a long time. Uh, and, and like there's some just some really out there ideas. I find it to be a really inspiring book because every time I think there's no way that you could do such and such thing you know, conceal two additional coins while so clearly showing another two uh i mean he he finds a way to do it and it it just makes me want to figure out what other things are out there that you know people haven't thought about yet and i I think there would just be more to do do from that i mean i so yeah it's it's kept me busy for a while and i think it'll keep me busy for a long time i remember that book came out because i read an article in magic magazine and they put an excerpt in there um and that rune has a really unique coin transfer that happens where the coins pass between the spaces of the fingers and, uh-huh. and uh and i know that's in the book and i've always like thought of like rune clan's coin magic as really 
fascinating and um, esoteric's the wrong word, but innovative um, is yeah. not quite where it is because it's like it's a little like Leonard Green's card magic, where it's just like it's such an off the wall set of ideas that there's no way that anyone with any other with experience with like normal coin magic would ever like sort of come uh-huh. at this and Rune's ability to combine his very high degree of technical skill with his clever uh, writing and comedy and stage presence is just wonderful. And Rune's, uh, Rune's world captures all of that stuff so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's got uh, what does he call it? Lip grip where he's folded his lip over to hold a coin. So yeah. that basically when the coin vanishes, it like appears on his face in this really goofy way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, just a whole slew of like really, yeah, exotic moves and such that um, exotic is the it, best way to put it. I think. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Farron, Rune's World uh, by Joshua J about the magic of Rune Clan is a fantastic Desert Island magic book. Thanks for for spending a few minutes with us, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks so much to Ferran for joining us on the show. Now, on to the main event. John Armstrong has won awards as a close-up magician of the year from the Magic Castle. He's released the monster hit effect Tiny Plunger, and he's responsible for a frankly unreal amount of incredible card magic performed by people around the world. Recently, he's transitioned to become one of the premier stand-up performers in the world, and I got a chance to chat with him about it over Zoom, and now you get to join our conversation. John Armstrong, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you because you are so busy out there performing on stages, which is, I've known you for a long time yes. now, and I'm not I'm not used to you being on a big stage. That, that, that is what I do. I'm actually sitting in the airport after just getting off of a Disney cruise where I was performing in a thousand seat theater. I think... You know, I think more and more people are getting uh, are catching on to the fact that you are a stage performer now, but you sort of made your career in close up. You know, you were at Caesar's Magical Empire. You've been, you know, uh, close up magician of the year at the Magic Castle. You, your work with cards is very, very well known. But now, what, but you've moved on to parlor platform stage. What caused that and how did you go about doing that? Uh, well, thing number one, man, was money. I mean, it was just about, like, I knew that I needed to expand my repertoire and expand what I was doing if I really wanted to to make more money and consistently be working. Two, I was just getting sick of proving myself every six minutes, going to the next group of people, having them have to like me again, and then going to the next group and proving myself over and over again in all these walk-around gigs. And, you know, I, it's not that I don't love close-up, because I sure do. Um, and the last thing was I kind of wanted a challenge. I wanted to see if I could take what I'm doing and put it on stage and see if I could take my voice and it would carry over with me. What was the biggest challenge in moving from close up to stage? Um, realizing, and this is something I talk about, you know, in the book and I've been talking about the people, you know, that will listen to me about all this stuff. But the biggest difference is, you can do the if people think um, stage magic or parlor magic, whatever is about is about size or proximity, and that's why reactions change. No, it's not. It's just about the fact that like you can do the exact same trick for ten people around you, standing around you, like like in a huddle, like imagine one of those um, uh, videos for a product or whatever, and then you take those exact same ten people and you sit them in two intense chairs in front of you, and you stand in front of them, do that exact same trick, they will react completely differently and when i say differently they'll react 
far less. They will be not as demonstrative. They will not be responsive. They will not be because you are essentially putting a barrier between you and them. And that was the hardest thing to get past. Like, I'm like, why is this not working? Why is, why can't I make, why is this not as good as it is when I'm doing it normally? And um, that was probably the hardest thing for me to figure out. It's, it's, really fascinating because I find myself doing more and more stage gigs these days. And I think there is sort of a shift going on right now in sort of where many of the people who were uh, known as close-up magicians have sort of graduated into this like stage era. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking of just like, you know, Ryan Plunkett, Nick LaCapo, uh, Kyle Purnell, you, many, many, many people are sort of moving towards stage and, and finding yeah. it in different ways. Uh, I think what what's one of the things that really surprised you uh when you when you started working stage like so much that you started considering yourself a stage performer but it, it was really important to me to not to be a mentalist there it seemed like there was at one time where all these close-up guys were all going and transitioning into mentalism or as i said everyone's got mental pause <laughs> and i i uh and i was like i i just didn't want to be a mentalist don't get me wrong i love mentalism it's definitely something that i care about very much it's just that's not the kind of performing I wanted to do. I wanted to be a visual magician. And so putting that stuff on stage um, and, and making sure that I was at least carrying over who I was to make it more personal, I mean, that was really my biggest focus. And to try to make it so that I was not, um, I don't know, like doing what everybody else and their brother was doing, like buying six tricks from, you know, from Bill Abbott or, um, uh, for, you know, from Scott Alexander or whatever, and just mm -hmm. doing them verbatim based on what um, were in those uh, those routines you bought. I do maintain to this day that when somebody introduces themselves as a, as a mentalist, uh, the correct response is gross. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Not that I don't love mentalists and mentalism, uh, but, uh, but... Oh, I, man, I can't wait for all the hate mail but, uh, from this episode. Of <laughs> but no, and that's the thing, is like, yeah. So some of my best friends are mentalists. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I do see what you mean though, is that it's I think the it's sort of it's a very easy thing to do to just reach out and go, Well, I know mentalism is pack small plays big and you know, because it's I can do uh, a giant show with only like a sheaf of uh, you know, parchment paper and a and a quill. Uh, and so moving past that and figuring out what it is that makes you work so well close up and on stage, I think is uh, and recognizing not to do mentalism, if, at least for, for some people, might be one of the better things they can do. Right, exactly. And I think it's far harder to pull that off, mm -hmm. pull off mentalism in such a believable way or you know, in, a, in, in an entertaining way than some other things. And, and I'll, I'll, to piggyback on something you just said, I mean, the whole pass while play big thing, like I, I really don't like that. Like mm -hmm. I really don't like that mentality. Like I don't think the audience cares about how much your luggage weighs. Um, or, you know, or how much you were able to get, you know, get on into the carry on in your airplane. They want to see a good show and they want to have, they want to feel something and they want to have an experience where they got to see something that was something they couldn't have seen by just sitting on their couches and watching a screen. And they need to have unique experiences where they matter. And I don't necessarily think that like we should start with what is easier to put in our luggage. I think we need to think about the show first and then packing about third. Mm -hmm. Um, that, you know, everything needs to start there. Like this big focus on pack small plays big, you know, I can get 10 minutes out of this. We're not professional time wasters. 
for people who should be going out there, giving them experiences that when they come out of it, they go, wow, this is something I could not have done any other way. I'm going to be more inclined to actually put on clothes, leave my house and go see more live shows. I love that idea there of us being us not being professional time wasters because inherently what we do is an incredibly frivolous act. I mean, if I think about uh, most of the magic that I see, like I just saw a wonderful magician produce two uh, full soda bottles. And if you sort of extrapolate that power, I mean, that's a person that could end world hunger if they weren't callous and selfish. Um, and so everything that we're doing is incredibly frivolous, uh, but, um, and, and is sort of the definition of wasting time, but you don't want to appear that way for an audience because you need to provide them a different kind of value. Yeah. I, I think like what sometimes gets thrown out of the window when we, when we're, you know, we're pack, you know, we're, we're, we worry about ourselves first and not the audience first mm -hmm. is that we're losing the respect, right? Yeah. So we, I think we need to respect an audience's time. I think we need to respect an audience's intelligence and who they are as individuals, you know, and I don't you know, and, and people get into this whole about, you know, about wokeness and political correctness. I'm even talking about that. I'm just talking about like, like we should just respect them for the fact that they actually shown up that day mm -hmm. and decided they were going to come see what you did. And you should be appreciative of that and make sure that they feel appreciative, appreciated because they did that that day. That's such a, um, compassionate way to look at your audience. I mean, I, I, I make a, I, I'll make a very good living now because I have decided to focus everything on what matters most. And what matters most is the audience is getting them the best experience they possibly can. And then that's my focus. Everything comes under that lens. I can, I can hear listeners to this thinking to themselves like, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could uh, start doing sort of larger stage shows. Uh, maybe they want to go move towards doing a cruise ship or, you know, some of the theaters around town uh, or around, around the country. Uh, and I would be remiss if I didn't uh, bring up your book, How to Win, that you just published. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about How to Win? Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, did you read the book by any chance, Eric? I have not read the book yet, even though I do own two copies. You do own two copies. I, now, uh, in my defense, well, in my defense, I've been working on defense. other books for people, and I'm headed to San Diego sure. like two days from now, and I'm bringing it to read with me when I'm trapped in at the performers' condo. So I, 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 I mean, I'm sure you'll have a a good time reading it, maybe. Um, but the the book is something that came from, you know, the fact that I had all this downtime on ships and every time I would meet other performers and have conversations with them, especially at these lunches, what I would end up doing is I would like start spouting off this, these ideas, these, this philosophy that I have based on some of the stuff we've just been talking about. And I started rattling this stuff off and I realized that like no one had been speaking about this stuff before. Like, you know, there has been much magic theory and there's been great, even practical books like, um, you know, maximum entertainment and scripting magic, so on and so forth. But no one's actually talked about like the nuts and bolts of getting an audience on your side. And that's really what the book is about. It's about like these ways that I've discovered that make your show more impactful, that unites an audience, that um, get people to actually uh, like you, to want to see more of you. Um, and and that's that's really important. You know, like it's not pie in the sky theories it's like literally 
It's, as opposed to saying X, if you say Y, I guarantee you people will feel more included and want to be um, and, and listen to their your show more. You know, just ways to like build that up, and uh, that's where it came from. It came from basically me going to lunches with these guys and just and yelling at them for hours. And then I'm like, you know what? I should probably write this stuff down because people seem to think that what I'm saying actually has some merit. I mean, you you have also, you know, one thing that surprised me when I was uh, I was sort of like looking back over a lot of the media that is and the, the stories that have written about you over the uh, while is that you sort of had this transition from full time performer to uh, sought after director and consultant for other magicians' shows. And I think sure. I, do, I don't think it should be surprising to you at all that uh, people want to hear your thoughts and theories because I, I feel like I've almost never talked to you about like individual trick stuff. I feel like every one of our conversations always ends up being around how to make the show itself better for the audience. And yeah. so, so I'm not I'm not terribly surprised that people keep taking you to lunch. Um, that it's I'm I'm kind of surprised that you would be surprised. Uh, I'm I'm but I'm glad that you're sharing this information outside of the uh, confines of a of a diner. Yeah, outside of a diner or an NDA, you know, yeah. like I've worked with a lot of performers and and about working on their shows and developing their shows and you know sometimes there's not a liberty to talk about that. And sorry to interrupt, but this week the show is brought to you by Chop from Craig Petty. Nick Lacapo joined me via Zoom to discuss this nearly impromptu chop cup effect. Nick, you know I've got this restaurant gig that I've been doing, and I added a new trick to my set list, and I'm loving it. It's Chop by Craig Petty. Mmm, this isn't just like a trick, man. This is like a this is this is an act. <laughs> this is like a whole system. Of, How much time you doing at these tables, Eric? I'm I'm only you know it's <laughs> you know I I roll up to the table, I do my 35 minute show, and then uh, and then I and then I leave. No, but that, that's uh, that's what it's amazing about this trick. When I first saw it, um, if you're not aware, it's a it's a chop cup routine that can be done close up. Which you know, I think a lot of people don't really think about doing chop clip close up so much. Uh, but it's it's designed to be and feel organic, right? Uh, because you can do it with really any cup. Are you using any sort of cup at, at the restaurant there? Yeah, I'm actually using the coffee cup that like the paper coffee cup with the restaurant's branding, uh, which is mm. really cool because every time, you know, you sort of get to the end of this routine, you, know, you borrow a dollar from someone, you have them sign it so that you know it's the real bill. And then the, uh, you know, you play the game. Is it in my pocket or is it underneath the cup? And, uh, and at the end of it, they're convinced that you have something special with the cup, but they can fully examine it. Uh, because you're just using any cup, it's a it's an awesome thing. Now I'm not yeah, doing. It's gotta, go ahead. No, I was gonna say it's got to hit different, right? Than yeah. having some fancy, you know, golden cup. Not that not that there's anything wrong with that, but yeah, if it is just something that was already on the table, it's got to be insane. And you learn Craig Petty's routine that he's been doing for years, where the dollar bill vanishes and appears inside of the lemon, which is the yeah. final load in this, which is just a, an absolute killer. Yeah, can can you imagine if that was the first magic trick you saw? I, I mean, you would. Everything else is downhill <laughs> from there. Yeah, you, you screw it. So if you if you're looking for something that's got multiple phases, uh, I mean, and on this instructional video, Craig dumps his. Uh, how long has he been doing this trick? Fifteen years, oh, something like that. Yeah, it's multiple phases, and you can stretch this for just a couple minutes or a full piece in your show. I mean, you probably get six, seven minutes out of this thing if you needed to. And the gimmick that you're getting uh, is pretty versatile. Craig teaches a bunch of additional ideas. There's a stranger card 
uh, plot or a, uh, a car do impossible location effect that is it just insane. There's tons and tons of material. Yeah, it's a lot of value. You should definitely get this if this sounds good to you. Chop by Craig Petty. Check it out. That was Chop by Craig Petty, available at penguinmagic.com. As always, the incredible listeners to this show receive 25% off the feature part of the week when they enter a special discount code at checkout. This week, that code is MAGNETS. That's MAGNETS. M-A-G-N-E-T-S for 25% off Chop by Craig Petty. That code is only good for Chop and only good until the next episode of this show airs. Now, back to my conversation with John Armstrong. Yeah, I also have a diner or an NDA, you know, yeah. like I've worked with a lot of performers and, and about working on their shows and developing their shows. And, you know, sometimes there's not a liberty to talk about that. And I, I, I don't know, I, I felt like people needed, at least there, it should have been documented that these ideas are out there. And if someone wants to use them, they should, they should, they should be able to do that. I like to look at a show. One of the reasons why I think we've had those conversations with Pat, Eric, is because I want to look at a show holistically, mm-hmm. and this is this is me compl- this is me quoting a compliment about myself, so it's pretty <laughs> conceited. But you know, uh, my buddy Nathan Komar says I don't know anyone who has a better eye for what an audience sees and what they enjoy than I do, I, I guess. And so, like, I can look at the entire picture and I can say, I swear to you, if you move these two routines around and change this idea so it's less about politics and more about fanciful stuff, your show will be this much better. And because I'm looking at the entire whole, people have a tendency to focus on the individual rooms, Mm -hmm. sometimes focusing on the individual routines and they slot them in like they're just, you know, you know, uh, uh, cue cards. I'm going to put this card here, this card here, and the show's going to be, you know, these five tricks that are, I put together in a random order on the on on these three cue cards, and I'm and I'm like, no, no, we have to know what these tricks mean to each other. What 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 kind of theatrical build this is going to build? How what this what these tricks say to you? What is the your opening? What does it say to the audience about who you are as a person? Your closer? What what are you leaving them with? All these things matter together, and when we're just looking at the individual pieces and not the whole, um, sometimes you you a lot of things fall through the cracks. Do you think that maybe some of the way you look at shows is influenced by your lifelong uh, fascination with comic books? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I, I learn everything about story and um, and telling, you know, uh, gripping narratives through that type of graphic storytelling. And you know, um, you know, the, in the comics, it's called arcs. You know, you each there's like an arc, and then you know, stories that go on this, and then sometimes there's side stories or side tangents, like in video games, like side quests, and you have to like figure out what the main parts of the arc are, what's the what's the most important part that you should be reading, and if you want to dive into other things, you can, and so that's the same thing as a show, you know, like you you should figure out what the arc is, your character, your person on stage, and don't get me started about character, that's another thing completely, but. If you're a pers- the person you want to be on stage, you have to figure out where you want to start with these people and where you want to end with these people and how they, the, how they are going to go on this journey with you and what they're going to feel about you after they've had this journey. I Sorry, I just want to touch back on you said, don't get me started by character. I firmly believe that the words character and patter should be viscerally ripped out of every magician's 
uh, lexicon that it's we are we are we are in agreement. I think too much emphasis is sometimes placed on character as the substitute for scripting, routining, or really caring about your show. Mm-hmm. Um, so they put all the emphasis on character and on the character, and somehow every if I do the linking rings as a guy in a zoot suit, that somehow means I it's instantly. Uh, I don't have to worry about writing a routine for the Lakey Rings. Yeah. Everyone knows what that means. No, no one does. What are you talking about? It makes no difference. Most, like, when we think of hard C, big C characters, capital C characters, Rob Zabrecki, Lucy Darling, you know, things like that, Matt, Matt King, we're thinking about characters. And those guys, by the way, are really good actors. Yes. They're super good actors. They have the ability to act and do that. Most people don't. Some of the best stand-up comedians in the world are not really good actors, but they're really good performers. And you should be able to put yourself forward, and that's the most unique thing we can see. We get to actually meet a person who cares about this really obscure, you know, art, and we get to experience and spend time with them and get them to see cool things. That's what should be on display for the most part. I mean, I'm not saying there's a, I mean, absolutely. If you can do that and play a character and make it sustainable over an hour, like Sabrecki does and, and so on and so forth, then yeah, that's great. But I guarantee you, I can't do that. I'm not that good of an actor. And there's a good chance you're not either. I think though that with, with, uh, with a stand-up comic and, uh, it, I think that, and the people who are really good performers, I think the one skill that they have developed as, as an actor that maybe, maybe they can't um, actually inhabit the, the personality of another character the way a really good actor would. Um, but I think some of the best performers have developed the skill of apparent spontaneity. And I think that that's, yes. that's something that, that I think needs to be worked on more by magicians, right? Like it's the reason the magician in trouble plot never works is because, oh, it's, it's, right. it's the, this is the first time that's happened again. And I think that the people who are the best performers are the people who have really focused and honed in on that particular skill. Right. I think you could be an extreme. I, I, I personally consider myself a very good performer mm-hmm. and a very average actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, I am. And that's why it was always important to me to put myself forward um, so that, again, I was the brand. I was the thing they're coming back to see. It wasn't just like someone I played on stage. It was really just um, a heightened version of myself that I was, you know, sort of like uh, showing off to the world. Mm -hmm. How do you write your scripts? So I'm dyslexic, extremely dyslexic, and writing is a chore. And um, so a lot of the time I'm writing, um, when it comes to new material, what I end up doing is I will block out um, rough ideas, basically outline stuff, just get it out there. Because it's pretty much sitting and trying to write in script format for me is something that will, it, will just, I just can't do. I, my brain will just let it happen. And so I write that out. And then I always try to give myself thoughts of all um i talked about this in scripting magic actually where i i if i ask a question i always have answers to whatever the response is that that they say so if i ask a question and say yes or no answer i have a response to what i'm going to say if it's a yes answer no answer so on and so forth i write all that and i block it out and then uh so it's just like a block basic idea and then i come on stage with it when i'm working on new material and then I kind of write on stage. There's a lot of comedians that talk about this. Well, they write on stage. So I'm kind of working it out there. That is obviously going to be filmed. I then take that filmed performance 
run it through a um, uh, an online um, uh, transcriber, hmm. which are just like you know free things you can get online. Now I have a script because I've said stuff and it's all blocked. Now I can edit. Edit I can do blank page very tough. So I can then come in with the edit and then go in and say. And now I can look at it all and saying hey, this is re- this is repetitive. I should change this. This will be funnier if I said this and I can block it out there and then try to get on stage, see if that works better and so on and so forth. And that's how I start tweaking the script. But that's essentially how everything that I do now is written. It starts off with basic um, blocked out sort of um, outline and then ends up being a script after I'm able to transcribe whatever I put on stage. I have a question about where you come, where you work on new material because I always think that this is this is a fascinating thing that I think many different performers, particularly stage performers that I know, answer in different ways. Um, you know, which is when you're working on that new piece that you want to put in the show, where do you do that? Because sure. you you mentioned earlier that you're on the Disney cruise ships, right? Like that would not right. it seems so, to me to be a place to screw no. around. <laughs> It's not. Um, I'm very. Le- I, I, I'm lucky enough that I've been doing this for so long with Disney that they know me. They trust me, and um, they're not. They're not like watching everything I do. That said, I would not change or put a brand new piece into my main show. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I do have on Disney is I do a workshop where I teach you know like jumping rubber band and simple tricks for kids. And I always start out and I'll literally say, "Hey, I'm working on a new trick. You guys want to see it?" Mm-hmm. And they say yes, and then I do the new routine. And so, and then I go into the, the workshop and everyone's happy because they got to learn the jumping rubber band and no one cares that whether or not that trick went over as good as it could have. Mm-hmm. And so that's a good place to do it there. Um, I also end up doing crew shows. So there's a huge, gigantic cast of people that, um, that work on the ship and um, you do shows for the crew. So that you'll do a show for, let's say, the entertainment department or the scullery department or the shipping, shipping, um, the steerage department, and you do a show for them. And so then now uh, it's a good place for me to work on new material because I'm performing for, again, sometimes people who don't even speak English. It really shows you, um, or speak English as their first or even second language. Um, it shows you what, you know, what they're, what they're gravitating, uh, gravitating to uh, visually. And then another place I'm able to work on is when I'm on land. Um, I'm very lucky that I have the Comedy and Magic Club. Um, I have the Magic Castle. I have places where I can, uh, Illusion Magic Lounge, places where I could go and drop in, do 10 minutes, and work on something uh, like that if it was something I really wanted to at least get some real flight time on. Mm-hmm. I very rarely work the castle anymore just because I'm never around and I'm always busy and I got a three year old. Um, but if I am looking just to put something in quick, then I'll just go to the club, get one of the impromptu rooms, mm-hmm. and just do something. Yeah. For I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up pretty quick because I know you have to get back on a plane uh, very soon. But for people who are just starting to make that first transition from close up to stage, where would you recommend that they look towards starting to get their first few minutes together on stage? Well, I think you should start with the material that you're doing that you think you can play up and out. Mm-hmm. Um, what I recommend is building a 15 to 20 minute parlor set. Um, of material that is either stuff that is at least familiar to you, so um, but then it's not completely outside of your comfort zone, but yet it stretches you a little bit. At least put in one new thing that is you would not do normally close up. You know, like probably don't walk around with a, a rope, work on a rope routine, you know, whatever, something like that. And then with some other things that you might be able to do as, as sort of like a stand-up, maybe something you would do at a larger table when they're all... Uh, in a in a row like that, 
and and do that type of stuff and then just build that 15 minute show and 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 keep doing it and do it as often as you possibly can so let's say you had a close-up gig you do your normal walk around and that towards the end of the night you go hey guys i want to see show you something here grab some chairs sit around and now you do a little Mm -hmm. parlor show for them um you every time you have the opportunity to gather people together and do some parlor stuff that helps you build it film it review it i talk a lot about in the book about about most people do reviews as um, triage reviews. Basically, they look at it, they fix what they think is wrong, and they never look at it again. And I think that's the wrong way. I think you have to constantly be looking at your show over and over again and compare it to previous shows. You can see growth. You can see things that you might have missed, stuff that you're stopping over. And then once you get so numb to watching yourself and you're basically just an avatar on a screen then you can then start making decisions completely without emotion behind it so that you can just make sure this is where the title comes from how to win how am i going to win these people over where do i need to stand how am i going to do it how am i going to make this the most um the best it could possibly be and then once you've done that you watch it even more because now you start getting so engrossed and you're understanding your voice you understand who you are as a person what you're trying to get across on stage and now you can start writing for the person that you're watching because you understand it so much. Now it's going to be much more easier for you to be able to start and create based on this character that you know very, very well. It is very hard to see the entire picture standing in the frame. Thank you, Jack Goldfinger. That is, that is absolutely true. And if you then understand that person, and you're not just looking out of your eyes, you can see from the, out, from the outside in, then you can actually really start creating and building and building and building. Otherwise, if you're just doing triage patches, you're, it's going to take you far longer to build up the type of material you really need to be able uh, to do. So that's that. It's spectacular advice for our listeners. And uh, if they wanted to pick up a copy of How to Win, where could they go do that, John? They would go to my website. They would go to cardjohn.com. Um, it is there. It's called How to Win or jo- cardjohn.com slash how to win. And uh, they can buy it there from the, the site. That's where I, it's where I sell it or unless you see me live somewhere. Um, it's not wholesaled. I love you penguin guys, but uh, this is just for me for now. No, that's that's fine. I'm, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad it's finally out there for, for people to read. And I can't wait to get fully immersed in it myself. John Armstrong, thanks so much for joining us here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. Thank you, Pat. That's going to do it for this week, kids. Thanks so much to John Armstrong for the conversation, and thanks to you for listening. Well, as you listen to this, I am on my way to San Diego to perform at the Prestige Theater before heading down to La Jolla to perform at the Mystique Dining Theater. If you're in Columbus this weekend, Eric Jones is performing at the P3 Magic Theater, and beyond that, we have some incredible plans in Columbus that you're just going to have to stay tuned for. As always, we're a weekly podcast, so be sure to like and subscribe as well as share your favorite episodes on the social media platform that you're learning 3D CAD design on. If you wanted to reach out to me about anything on this show, you'll have to slip it into an STL file in Fusion 360 because this week I actually designed and printed a part for my show all on my own. I'm basically a maker magician, and the word on the street is that Mario is real proud of me. But if designing your own 3D printed magic gimmicks isn't your cup of tea, you can always hit me up on Instagram at Eric Tate. That's at E-R-I-K-T-A-I-T. From me and everyone else here at the P3 Magic Studios, practice, practice, perform. Perform.